Hello, and welcome back to the Statesman Sports Desk. I am Dalton Renshaw. I'm here with Jason Walker. Jason, got some breaking news for everyone today, huh? Yeah, good old-fashioned breaking news. Usually we come in here just to talk about a topic, but this time one was kind of just dropped in our laps, a couple of them, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we were sitting here, and we're getting ready to talk about this, like, speculatively, because we'd heard reports, which turned out to be accurate, but Mm -hmm. then... They sent out the press release, and yeah. right, as, right as we were sitting down getting ready to record. Yeah. So, yeah. pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. So, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, we are back in consecutive days to talk about the football team and another hire for the football team. Uh, offensive coordinator position is no longer vacant. Just 12 days in between the departure of Mike Sanford and the hiring of Bodie Reader. Yep. Bodie Reader. Bodie Reader. The uh, old Bodie. Big, I don't know if he's a big man <laughs> or not, but we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, formerly of North Texas, most recently, and also uh, spent two years in Eastern Washington as the offensive coordinator. Um, took the team to the FCS title game mm-hmm. in 2018, right? Um, so, I mean, you're the one that wrote the story on it. I'm just kind of trying to give a little background, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to take too much away. What, what should yeah. we know about Bodie Reader? So you should know that his offenses in Eastern Washington were dominant. They ranked, I think, fourth in uh, points scored per game in 2018 when they went to the FCS title game. If I remember correctly, I didn't actually look this up, but I vaguely remember them hearing about a team that was really good in scoring and then. Yeah sucked in the FCS yeah. title game. I don't know if that was Eastern Washington or not. It was one or two years ago. Where, like They made it to the FCS title game as one of the top scoring teams in the nation and then scored like seven points or something like that. So I, I didn't actually... <laughs> you can look that up right now. I'm on it. I want to know what how badly they did, if that's the, the memory that's coming to mind, if that's what it is. But really, in 2017 and 2018, they were both pretty dominant offenses. In 2018, it was actually a, a really balanced offense. Um... I think they ranked 20th in passing, 13th in rushing. Those two, those two might be flipped. I need to pull up my own story so I can read my own stats off of all this. That might be helpful. Yeah. But although in uh, 2017, they had like 320 passing yards per game, so it was a little less balanced, but obviously a super dominant uh, passing team. So you were a little bit off. It was a little bit um, of an exaggeration. They were a really good offensive team, but they did score 24 points in the championship Okay, game. so I, I'm probably thinking of, it might have been this year Possibly. that I'm thinking of. Because for some reason I've managed to at least notice the uh, the FCS title game. Even though I'm never looking for it, yeah. I always end up stumbling upon, oh, here's the FCS title game or the playoffs. I'm usually rooting for Weber State because they've been in the playoffs the last couple of years. Yeah, they've been. And I keep wanting them to win, but then they always fall short. It's usually the powerhouse uh, North Dakota State that's in and, yeah, uh, and that, that's who Eastern Washington lost to, right? Yeah. North Dakota State or North Dakota. Yeah, North Dakota State. So I'm, I'm just going through the last couple just because I'm curious. And there hasn't been a team that scored seven. The last team to score um, close to that was in 2018. Um, it was North Dakota State beating James Madison 17-13. to 13. So just a little fun fact for you guys if you're looking for <laughs> FCS knowledge on this Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, but so back to back to Bodie Reader. Um he had the two really successful seasons at Eastern Washington, which obviously um, you could understand the jump to an FBS school in North Texas. But last year was a little bit um, of a letdown compared to his previous standards. But um, it, it wasn't necessarily the worst season in the world. I think people were obviously wanting a little bit more out of Mason Fine um, in, in his senior season and probably um, 
maybe similarly to the offense that we saw with Utah State, just expecting a little bit more when you have a, a really good quarterback, right? But um, still, they, they did a, a couple things pretty well. I don't know. if Do you have the stats pulled up in front of you? Yeah, so I'm pulling okay. up the stats. So like, so with Mason Fine, he threw for over 9,000, almost 9,500 yards, I think, in his first three seasons. Mind you, his freshman year, he threw like uh, something in the teens uh, mm-hmm. or the, you know, 15, 1,600. I don't have his freshman season pulled up. Give me five seconds. 1,500 yards, almost okay. 1,600. And then he threw for 4,000, then 3,700, almost 3,800 in that 2018 season. He probably would have eclipsed 3,800, possibly even 4,000 if he hadn't have been injured against Utah State. And maybe had he had a three or 400-yard game or close to it. Mm. He could have eclipsed 4,000 yards in back-to-back seasons. But then... You know, he threw for 3,088 yards in 2019. And the thing is, their offense ranked well, I think, in passing. I think they were 28th. Um, yeah, they came 4th. Or 27th, sorry. 27th, 4th in the conference um, at 288 yards per game. Yeah. So the, they, they were pretty good at passing the ball overall. But I guess, like I said, they were expecting – Elite, because Mason Fine was one of the top quarterbacks. He was probably on the uh, all the quarterback watch list. You know, right yeah. alongside Jordan Love, and um, even though you know Mason Fine threw twenty nine touchdowns, and I think they had thirty three as a team, mm-hmm. which I think was ranked very well in the nation, really well in the conference. So it was good, but again, it was like with Utah State. Jordan Love yeah. had plenty of good moments, but it felt like. When you have an elite quarterback, and North Texas, I believe, had won nine games in each of the last two seasons, and so when you have a year where you go four and eight, yeah, that's it's know, a letdown. Pe- which, people are gonna get fired. Yeah, which is what happened. Uh, both <coughs> both coordinators, uh, Reader and the defensive coordinator, got let go um, at the end of last season. But I, I, maybe the expectations were probably a little bit skewed because um, obviously Graham Harrell running such like the air raid offense that he did, you know, such a high volume of passing plays and then switching to a more balanced offense. You're probably not going to get that inflated, uh, those inflated passing statistics. Yeah. Guy guy threw 511 passes his, um, his sophomore year, I believe it was. Then like, 469 in 2018. Again, mind you, that's subtracted like 20 to 25 passes thanks to not playing as much in the bowl game. Yeah. Um, but overall, kind of an unknown commodity in, in some ways because, I mean, you really only have the three years of high-level coaching experience that go off of um, film-wise. And then you also we have a couple of adjustments on the defensive side of the ball. Um, with Stacy Collins and Frank Miley being named as co-defensive coordinators and Justin Ina taking somewhat of a step back. I guess we'll see officially if that's what they're going to call it tomorrow at the press conference, but he will now be uh, taking over the uh, inside linebackers position. Yes, he'll be coaching the inside linebackers, um, which was Miley's old, old right. post. Right. <laughs> um, He's had a couple, uh, an interesting couple of years with the. Yeah, he's he's taken on a lot of jobs. He's worn a lot of hats. So uh, it's interesting because you had Miley and Collins were both defensive coaches under Matt Wells. Hmm. Then they moved to the offensive side. Collins was coaching running backs. He also coached special teams, so not an entire move, but he just he was doing everything except defense, I guess. Right. Um, and then Miley's the the tight ends coach, also an assistant head coach. That was one of his titles. I don't know what that entailed, but it was. 
what it, whatever it was. It was on the plaque. It was likely a nod to the fact that he was the interim head coach for the New Mexico Bowl against North Texas. Since right. We, you know, that's the problem. I, I keep seeing stuff about North Texas, and I never heard about them before. Or like, well, I knew of them, but I like never heard from them. Mm-hmm. So. What's interesting is actually he was the assistant head coach uh, under Matt, Matt Wells for a year as well. Oh, was he? Yeah. In 2018, he was the assistant head coach, which I guess um, kind of it's a natural slot into that interim head coach. Yeah. <laughs> but so, but he's, a, he's the co-defensive coordinator. And I think that's... Correct. And so him now going to with uh, Stacey Collins, kind of a nod back to what he's doing before it. It's kind of interesting to see two defensive guys go to the offense. Granted, I don't know what those guys' background before Utah State was, because hmm. sometimes you could have guys flip between offense and defense quite a bit. I imagine when they're assistants or positional coaches or things like that, they might have multiple areas of expertise, or you know, sure, yeah, whether they're coming out from high school or you know wherever you know their path is taken. Of them. course, yeah. But it's nice to see the guys that have experience with defense. Getting to do that, I think it's nice that they're making a shift in the in uh, the defensive staff because the defense kind of did so poorly this year that leaving it as it was wasn't the greatest option. Right. And you're not going out and just firing people, but you're trying to, you know, make things work without making any dramatic changes. Got something in my throat. I don't know what it is. You need a second. I need a drink of water. That's what I need. And I got it here. <laughs> My eyes all watered up. It's a good thing we're not on camera. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I do think it's um, – I'm usually not a big fan of firing coaches immediately after, you know, one bad season. Yeah. Um, so I think it is kind of a, a good nod to kind of just switch around personnel, keep keep people on staff, but maybe give them a different role. And I don't know, like you say, I don't know exactly what the assistant head coach responsibilities entailed, but maybe that was a little bit too much on his plate. And so focusing on just one position group for – uh, Coach Eno would probably maybe do him better next season, but um, yeah. So, and so overall, I I like pretty much everything they've they've done here. Mm-hmm. I know some people are they might focus on the lack of team success at North Texas for uh, Bodie Reader, but for me, I really like these kind of hires where you go out and you get a guy who's not some big name person, mm-hmm. not some you know go find some cast off coordinator from a power five right. school, go find somebody who you believe will have success. Yeah. Well, it's like the, the speculation as soon as the season ended and, and as soon as uh, coach Sanford left that they're going to go after Mark Helfrich again. I'm like, he's already taken a position at the bears. He's, he's not going to leave for Utah state. And he's probably too much of a name, too much of a salary. Like I agree. You get somebody who can do the job well. Yeah. And, you know, obviously no, Utah state's not saying to go after big name guys, but it's usually, Old face, which I mean, that kind of runs against the Gary Anderson hiring, but I still raise an eyebrow at the Gary Anderson hiring. Sure. Even though I have generally accepted it, you don't want to just chase names. You want to chase what you feel like is going to work. Sure. So the fact they got a guy who's shown some real good success, you know, at an FCS level, that's something you might look for generally. Look for a guy who's had a lot of success, maybe at a lower level, and see what principles you can bring from that and have it work. At an FBS level. Yeah. And it's kind of like with Coach Smith. He was at a lower program. He stepped up. And he's done really well with the basketball program. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I just, in general, I like it. I think it's a good shakeup for the offense and the defense. That's what they needed. And I think especially moving into a period that's going to be much more rebuild, it'll be a lot of benefit. Because trying to 
insert two new defensive, you know, two major coordinators, offensive and defensive, into a team that was trying to step into, you know, the culmination year, that was a tall task. One that they kind of ultimately failed at. Yeah, it, it does feel like they're definitely looking within themselves and thinking, okay, this is probably, the, we have to actually start an official rebuild now. We can't just keep doing it on the fly, like you're saying, and try to do, uh, you know, a culmination project and a rebuild project all at the same time. Yeah. So, the, and I think fans this next year really need to just, you know, we'll, we'll probably analyze how the coordinators and how all that does, but keep in mind this next year isn't necessarily going to be good. They might be. We'll see. But you're replacing all of your good players right, with unknown commodities, which, you know, they're unknown commodities. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't guarantee whether or not they'll be good or bad. They could be really good. They could win 10, 11 games, or they could win four. We'll see. Sometimes it's okay to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And the thing is, if they do only win four or five games, you can't jump off and say it's a failure. Gary Anderson won like three or four games his first season. or I can't remember exactly what it was, but he had a losing season yeah. by multiple games. Then he gradually improved. Then had the you know eleven and two season. Right. He he built it up. Right. That's what he's going to have to do here. Except this time he started with a better roster, but he's just got to rebuild it all. We're seeing them fill out the coordinator roles. We'll see the recruits come in and build up. You know, there's got to be some patience here, especially since Utah State's not a reload program like right. Alabama or Clemson. What? Every iteration that this team faces is going to be a completely different project. It, it, you can't have the expectations of, well, we've had a couple good seasons. We made it to the bowl game eight of the nine last years or whatever it is. Um, so we're just going to continue to be, you know, one of the top Mountain West teams in the conference. There, this team does, t- it takes a lot to rebuild this team. They, like you're saying, the cupboards aren't always, aren't always stocked full of yeah. talent. So, um, and that that will be really fun to see though, coming up in, you know, a couple weeks, uh, national signing day, and then, you know, heading into spring, uh, spring camp and everything like that to see what kind of uh, a recruiting class they can put together um, with almost a completely new uh, coaching staff in some ways. Um, so should we switch to some other news now? Yes. We have more breaking news on the podcast. Uh, and just with Utah State Athletics in general, uh, the Utah State uh, volleyball team making a hire. This one took a little bit longer to fill, um, but not really all that longer. It's been kind of a quick... It was a month and a half. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What, I don't know the official or the uh, the standard times for hiring in that, in that position, but... Um, I think the press release said it was finally over, so I think for them it felt <laughs> like a long time. Okay. Well, either way, uh, the the hiring of Rob Nielsen as the new Aggies volleyball coach happened just a couple of days ago, and he will be taking over for, obviously, Grayson DuBose, who spent 14 years with the Aggies and had some periods of really, really some good success with the team. And then, you know, the couple uh, periods of drop-off over the last three or four years, which, I mean, can't be understated because, you know, for for all the, the highs that he did have with the Aggies, there were some pretty bad seasons the last couple of years. So. Yeah, his last couple of years. So I think before these last two seasons, he was one hundred. He had 181 wins. Yeah. After, like, what would be the 2017 season. 
Yeah. Two years later, he has 189. Yeah. So I'm, I'm reading it right now. He was 182 and 181 uh, prior to the last okay. two seasons. Yeah. He's, he was barely a winning coach all the time, which can be a tricky thing to do when you stay with the program for 14 years. Having yeah. a winning record, that's impressive, mm-hmm. even if it's by one. Now he's, what, minus 44? Yeah. In terms of winning? So 189 and 233? So it was probably the right time. Quite the dive. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a guy, you know, you, you think of letting guys go like uh, Tim Durier or um, I feel like there's another example and I forgot. But, you know, because Tim Dury, he didn't have a whole lot of success here. Yeah. But DeBose did. He's a two-time WAC coach of the year, led the A's to a um, yeah, NCAA tournament, uh, a regular season conference win, uh, a conference tournament victory, which is the year they went to the NCAA tournament. So you're you're looking at a guy who had a lot of success with the program, longest tenured head coach, second wins, probably would have been a lot closer to first had he not lost 50 games in two seasons. But it was time for him to go. Just yeah, and he might be relieved to be going too, just because of how Possibly. little success. <laughs> yeah. Just like, all right, finally got out of the situation. And I don't know how old he is. I don't know if he was looking to retire anyway. And I've never met him because I've also never covered a volleyball mm. game. It's like one of the two. Division one sports here at Utah State that I have that's, not covered. That's funny. I, I've covered a, a quite a handful of volleyball games and wonderful guy. I will, I will say that every, every time I've interacted with uh, Coach Debose, wonderful guy. And even even outside of uh, campus, ran into him a couple times and friendliest guy. But the last two seasons, I mean, you, you kind of have to make a coaching change at that point. So won, it's understandable. They won two games, and I was surprised at both of them. Yeah, I think they, didn't they win them back to back, or was it close? No, it it was quite a quite a period between. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so a little bit about Nielsen. Uh, he comes in as uh, currently uh, still serving as an assistant coach for the U.S. men's national team um, and will be serving in that capacity for a little while longer post the Olympics, which, I mean, if you can swing that, I don't blame it at all. If you have the chance to go. I think it's just mostly for the Olympics. Right. I think after that, he's going to be focusing a lot more on. Correct. Yeah, uh, he will be State. Uh, spinning time in and out of the uh, Olympic team through the Olympic cycle. But um, before that, he spent uh, 10 years at BYU as an assistant coach um, and working in multiple capacities as a coach and also spent uh, the prior four years at BYU as a player. So he jumped mm-hmm. straight into coaching uh, right away after his playing career was over. And I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think the BYU tie is somewhat important just um, perception-wise because uh, initially when I saw the hire and I saw that he was a U.S. national team coach, I thought that was a really, really good get for Utah State, and mm-hmm. it still should be considered that way. But I was really curious. I'm like, how did they get this guy to, you know, uh, want to take the job? And it does make a little bit more sense in my mind now <laughs> that he does have some connections to Utah. Um, but uh, nonetheless, John Hartwell, John Hartwell mentioned that um, they they weren't short on candidates, so this was obviously a coveted position um, yeah. around the country. So, yeah, here he is, Coach Nielsen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as far as BYU, the you know with the men's program, is is he spent his whole career with men's volleyball. Yeah, both obviously playing, and then uh, been tricky for him to do otherwise. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he can't then, play women's volleyball. No, he, no, he's not allowed. Um, 
then coaching the men's team, which men's volleyball is very good. He won a national title yeah. with the men's team, and the men's volleyball team is still consistently among the best in the nation um, while he's been coaching them. He was even interim head coach himself at one point at BYU, coached the team to a 20-8 and eight record, and was they were, again, one of the best teams in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. So this guy has a record both as a player and as a coach that is pretty much impeccable. He's had success wherever he's been. I mean, when he went to help coach the youth team, I believe it was, like the um, Team USA Youth. I'm trying to figure out where I mm-hmm. – I'm trying to go this off memory, but I'm also trying to look it up <laughs> in my article, wherever it's at. But they medaled for the first time in like 25 years. Yeah. And they won a bronze. Then like at another event, they won silver. And I think they've continued to win medals even after he's not been as involved. So, yeah, in the 2018 World Championships, the, you know, also it was, okay, it was the the men's national team. It wasn't the youth team that they medaled for the first time in 24 years. It was just the men's national team. They took silver at the 2018 World Championships, or sorry, bronze at the 2018 World Championships. championships and then at the volleyball nations league in 2019 they won silver so again just place after place he's gone he's had success yeah both as a coach and as a player so i love this hire i mean yes i do too you need a guy to come in he's had success he has that you know he's building his own tradition of success have him come in and just you know work on a program that's not had a whole lot of success in recent years. Yeah. But that has a history of being good in the past. Take that and make winners out of volleyball once again, as they have been in the past. And what I love about it is I love that, um, you know, obviously he's had the last 14 years or so in his career where, uh, you know, he's been really busy and really uh, done done good things, but he's still a young <coughs> He's still a young coach, um, you know, just got done with his playing career in 2006. Um, and the Aggies have a really young roster as well. I remember that's – it was kind of bittersweet last season seeing uh, the way things were going because obviously things weren't going well in, in the in the win category. But um, you would see things, you know, nearly every game something was going right because they just had so much young talent and, you know, it, it just couldn't get that final piece together because I'm trying to look through the roster right now. They had something like – um, five or six freshmen that they're rotating um, frequently, which on a volleyball roster, that's not a ton of players. So yeah, um, so yeah, that'll be really interesting to see if if you know having somebody with that kind of experience, but still a young coach, can kind of um, work with these young players really well and maybe get some finished product out of it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what the volleyball program does. <laughs> Even though I've not been following them closely, <laughs> uh, I, I do hope that they're able to. Yeah, maybe to in a maybe in another career, you'll end up going to a volleyball game. I don't dislike volleyball at all. Uh, it's a ton it, of fun. It, it's a fun sport. It's just it's just not panned out that way for me. And you know what's great, too, about volleyball is that if you're one of these people that watched the national title football game the other night and saw that it went four and a half or so hours, volleyball gets over in like an hour and a half, two yeah. hours, and it is exciting the whole time. And... Yeah, it can be super exciting stuff. I've really enjoyed watching volleyball games You know, whenever I've managed to find the time. And I've covered high school volleyball. That's interesting. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. So, and yeah, just, I mean, we'll have the roster pulled up looking, looking through some of the key players they'll get back. They have um, five or six key players that uh, played a major role on the team last season and um, a couple of players that in the year prior when they did perform a little bit better, um, had some pretty good statistics in conference. So 
Um, yeah, look out for the volleyball team in 2020. It'll be a rebuild season, but it'll be, uh, everyone would assume it would be an uptick from the, the prior season. Cause I mean, two wins, they you have to go up. You have to go up. It's <laughs> worse. That's they true. officially can, but if they do manage it, I should applaud Rob Nielsen for, uh, <laughs> for his uniqueness. That would not be the, uh, trajectory he would have thought his career would go. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Although, uh, oh, there's a fun fact that I tweeted out, uh, so, Rob Nelson in his playing career, he played under, um, oh, what was his name? Like his three years, his first three years. And then sure. his, his senior year, he played for a different coach. I'm going to try and look this up real quick. It was because he, un- he played for BYU. Was it Red Arbach? What? No. I'm just naming coaches. Just naming coaches. So, okay, I found it. So, he played under Tom Peterson at BYU. That's for the 2004 national title, which I should mention, I don't think Nielsen played very much in the 2004 season. <laughs> he played mostly. Let him have the title. He mo- Come on. He has, he has a ring. He has a ring, which is one more than me. <laughs> and also silver and bronze medalism and whatnot. That is, that is some semantics there. Come on. <laughs> it is. He played some, but like his main production seasons uh, as a setter were in 2005, 2006, his junior, senior season. Gotcha. But he played under Tom Peterson for three of his four seasons. Peterson, before he coached at BYU, was Utah State's head coach. Interesting. In uh, 1999 and 2000. So you're telling me the seed was planted a long time ago. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I said if his former, you know, coach as a player yeah. coached at Utah State. You know, I watched Inception the other night. And if you can implant a, a, a thought in somebody's <laughs> head, you know, you just had to go three dreams deep. It's possible. Well... It must have taken that, you know, three dreams. It takes 10 years for him to finally realize yeah. or like 15 years. Oh, hey, I'm going to go coach at Utah State. Well, you know, in dream time, everything's, you know, expounded by, you know, a factor of 10 or whatever it is. So maybe this was put in his mind a long time ago, and now it's just finally coming to fruition. There you go. All right. There you go. There's your inception model of how this hiring happened. Uh, all right. Uh, I think that's all we have today. Uh, we'll be back um, very soon with another edition of the podcast, probably talking some more about the men's basketball team, finally getting uh, a win, breaking that three-game losing streak over the weekend, and they'll have another big one on the road against Boise State this weekend. So yeah. plenty to talk about there. Hopefully next time we come back and talk about them, we'll be talking about them establishing a winning streak. Yes. Once again. Yes. For like the third, fifth time this season. <laughs> <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, at least they can establish these winning streaks. True. Consistently. True. And they're 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 in a great position. Yeah. They'll be fine. It's not all doom and gloom yet. No, it felt like doom and gloom for about a week and a half. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back soon. Enjoy. Bye. <laughs> <Still waiting. laughs> okay. Bye. See you later.